0: It's nice to have mentors that uh, remind you that when you talk, oftentimes you say things that are not as maybe they should be. And I had to have it drawn to my attention That I didn't know the difference between an owl and a monkey I had uh, three owls sitting on there I understand it's, it's, it's monkeys I should have been talking about And also, I believe I led you astray yesterday When I asked if any of you could recite from memory The Beatitudes and I inadvertently had said that there were 143 verses in that and that is why there was so much reticence in the group to stand up and say yes we know so uh having set that straight uh, how many now know the 143 verses verses words Nobody. Well, it's no better today than it was yesterday. (laughs) The subject of the Sermon on the Mount. It's been described by different writers in different ways. It's been described as similar to a policy speech that might be given by a politician. It's been described as maybe uh, equivalent to the message that your president gives you when he gives a talk on the State of the Union in which he outlines policies and principles that are to be followed. It's also been referred to as a code, such as the code of Hammurabi, the code of Moses, and the code of Christ, which related to policy and conduct primarily. So that when Jesus spoke to the disciples and the multitude, he was simply stating to them what it was That God expected them as individuals to do It was an individual responsibility That they had to measure up To the loftiness of this policy That he stated in the Sermon on the Mount The policy has not changed the loftiness of the concept has not deviated the challenge is just as acute today as it was in the day that Jesus spoke and when he had addressed them as we had mentioned before warning them as is contained in the latter part of the Beatitudes where he said rejoice and be glad because of being reviled and persecuted and in all manner of things said against you falsely there was a warning that with this following of this policy there was also a hazard and if one were to weigh the benefits as opposed to the hazards then one could undertake this vast project of bringing into control the attitude of mind that was necessary to be a true follower of Jesus the policy is God's policy Jesus was merely speaking The word that God gave him to speak And this Outline as contained in this sermon Is what God expects Of those that are to be His followers Jesus warned That those Who would follow him Those who would In the future Have that blessed state given them, if they remained faithful, warned that they would be persecuted like the prophets. And I said yesterday that the prophets, from my understanding, only on one or two occasions ever used their office to protect themselves. And even then, when you read the circumstances where the There was called out to eat the boys Where the fifty were consumed And where there was a revelation given Of the standing army of God in their chariots It was for a purpose Of shocking that group Into the realization That the prophet that had administered that Was indeed a great man Now Those who were to be the followers of Christ Obviously Do not have that endowment of a prophet But But just as the prophets were persecuted So also Those who would be the followers of Christ Could expect abuse in this Their walk In service of God Now abuse can come from many sources Oftentimes, We are the author Of our own problems And I think when we look at some of the things That are mentioned in the scriptures Particularly in this sermon Without the attitude that is proper You will find That the occasions for the abuse And I'll use that word Are heightened By our improper attitude Now, having spent virtually a few minutes on the the Beatitudes as we did yesterday I would be the first to confess that we have not done them justice Go home, you dig into it and you get the depth or plumb the depth of the wisdom that are contained therein Take that as your personal challenge First memorize it Then Research it Now Jesus continues on In his sermon Sitting there Speaking As it were As a student of the law Speaking as it were Of one who had grown up In the Jewish tradition Which would be obvious Because of his heritage He was not only tutored in the things of the law But he obviously had been one who could personally say He had hungered and thirsted after righteousness And he had made a concerted effort To become wise In the things that related to God and his purpose And so speaking from that background As has been mentioned He spent from the age of 12 to 30 Contemplating the duty and the job that was before him Educating himself to the responsibility Of the position that he was to have as the Lamb of God Who would take away the sin of the world But in calling men to salvation He called upon this background of his To teach And it says of Jesus that he taught as No other man taught For he taught as one having authority Now what was the difference between Jesus' method of teaching And the method of the scribes and the Pharisees Well it is simply this The scribes and the Pharisees if were questioned On the meaning of the law Their retort would be Well by the school of Hillel Such and such is understood Or they might say the school of Shemiah has this particular opinion. They were not people who had in their mind a fixed understanding of what it was that the law required of them. They were interpreters. They were not convicted. But when we look at the chapter that follows or the verses that follow this fifth chapter in Matthew, we see something that is starkly different. Now, on six occasions in this seventh chapter fifth chapter, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of old times. Verse twenty one. 27 you have heard that it was said by them of all time Verse 31 It hath been said Verse 33 Ye have heard that it hath been said of them of all time And ye have heard in verse 38 That it hath been said an eye for an eye You have heard in verse 43 That it hath been said Thou shalt love thy neighbor Now you notice how he framed those allusions to the law He didn't say Moses said that But he said you have said Or your people or your rabbis have said Where they are voicing as it were A secondary opinion rather than a conviction Now notice the change in the teaching method verse 22 well this really should start with verse 20 I say unto you and that phrase that sentence is used seven times and if I had a a front man like Mike does uh, I would have uh, Charlie jump up and tell us what seven is but I I don't have the same contact with Charlie that uh, Mike does Now seven times there's obviously a reason I don't intend to go into it But I want to stress The difference in the teaching method I say With conviction I know what I'm talking about I know that the truth of which I speak Is God given Now that put him In a category that was completely different than all the teachers That the people of that day and generation Had come into association with And it put him on a pedestal and a plateau That has never been Reached by any member Of the human race since Now what did Jesus say Again He is speaking with the authority of God He says in verse 13 After the completion of the Beatitudes. The Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing that it be cast out and be trodden underfoot. Now, to whom was he speaking? Was he speaking to the multitude? Obviously not. They heard him, but that message wasn't to them. The message of salt was to those who were searchers and seekers after righteousness those who were of the poor spirit those who were meek and those who were of a humble and a contrite heart ye are the salt of the earth what did he mean well he was speaking from a background of the Middle East where salt was used to uh, kill the smell as some have suggested from the animal sacrifices that were taking place there's also a suggestion under the law that there was a covenant of salt made as the sacrifice was sprinkled with salt there's also the suggestion that salt in that age or that era had a certain aromatic pungency to it that would be a cover up for burning flesh And it lost this On exposure And therefore It was of little value For the aromatic value What was Jesus talking about He again Like our brother pointed out the other night Very ably too That he was speaking in uh, Figures of speech He was likening his followers To salt Now, salt is, you know, uh, is or was used in those days for preservation or preserving of food. One writer suggests that the uh, salt was a commodity that they in that area around the Galilee were very familiar with because in the warm weather, if you catch a fish and you don't put salt on it but quick, it's a, a mess. So they recognized in the use of salt the art or the value of preservation or preserving. But also, I think there are other things relating to the use of salt. You know, if you have a tomato, and I was given some by Don here, and they're delicious, Uh, but the flavor of the tomato is enhanced by the sprinkling of a bit of salt. And I think in the idea that Jesus is expressing here In the uh, figure of speech of the salt Relating to his disciples He is talking about that value Of enhancing Those who are exposed to them Did you ever think That as a follower of Christ That you could enhance or make better, or make a better saver for those that know you because of your association with the Son of God through the acquisition of his word. I suggest to you that when Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, not only did he review them as the means by which the gospel message would be sent and the preservation of life could come as a result of it, But he looked upon them As a group Who would make better Enhance Spice The areas Or the people With whom They had to do And so When Jesus said Ye are the salt of the earth Do you realize If We Qualify As his missionaries his representatives the greatness of the responsibility that rests on our shoulders sometimes we tend to take a very casual view of the responsibility that lies on our shoulders as being representatives of the man Christ Jesus ye are the salt of the earth if you meet the requirement that is laid on you he then goes with a very similar analogy to the thought that ye are the light of the world and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but a candlestick and it giveth light unto all men that are in the house let Your light so shines That men may see your good works And glorify Your Father Which is in heaven The analogy of light Is one I think we all understand Light Usually Represents One who is well informed A light standard is one who dispenses Knowledge Understanding a light that is functioning properly is meeting that responsibility information about obviously the things that Jesus was concerned with his plan and his plan his father's plan and purpose for salvation and he as the lamb of god was bringing the message of salvation preaching in the kingdom of the kingdom of God throughout all the cities that he went to that light that information that spiritual food that can enlighten one to be able to realize the opportunity they have given or been given for salvation rests on his disciples to dispense it is a thing that is not to be kept within the analogy of a candle being set up and then covered with a bushel tells us that if we have that light we would better let it shine shine, shine as the children's psalm goes You know It's not that Because of this The men will esteem us Any higher At least that is not the motive By which we should let our Light shine Shine shine. But rather As Jesus has said That the glory And the recognition in that individual Of something that reflects God will give to him the praise and honor that is due his name perhaps we don't think about that often enough the here and now is an opportunity for us to cause glory to be reflected to the creator you know he said that he created this earth for his pleasure and we always tend to think of it as a future thing We we said that blessing uh, In the the Beatitudes Gave the indication That the one so Honored to be in that position Had the privilege Of a future blessing But do you realize Also That when we think of that That we tend to think of the kingdom As distant and the time that God would receive Any pleasure from his creation Would all be in the future When men would have his nature have his name in their forehead and be called his sons and daughters and that that is the time that he would receive the pleasure from his creation but do you realize that now you can by your good works and the light that you let shine give God pleasure and he will be glorified by the things you do now maybe we don't think of that often enough when we get so involved with these petty problems that involve us all the here and now, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches we get so wrapped up in them that we sometimes fail to recognize this principle that Jesus is speaking about when we come to the realization of that responsibility ought we not to be better people ought we not to be those who the reflection that we cast of the light that has entered our hearts and our minds ought it not to be discernible by those that know us and ought we not to enhance the areas of our influence the people among whom we work and have our dealings it's something to think about Jesus continues in the 17th verse This 5th chapter Remember he's Addressing an assembly of Jews Probably within that Audience Were some of the uh, Migrant Rabbis who Got their orders from Jerusalem And came up To Teach in the areas of Nazareth in the Galilean area, where the synagogues were, the representatives of Jewry were obviously in that group. And it had been a concern of theirs for the maintenance of that which they understood to be true, that it was to be maintained at all costs. And these observers, were not sympathetic observers or listeners to Jesus So to spite them as it were To the reality of the responsibility That they should have been measuring up to He said to them look Don't you worry I'm not come to destroy the law And the prophets I'm not come to Set it aside Cancel it As one writer says I've come to fulfill it And in me Although he doesn't say it You will see The embodiment The purpose The intent Of the law You will see it As a schoolmaster To bring me unto you, Bring you unto me And then he says Verily verily, I say unto you Heaven and earth pass Till heaven and earth pass One jot or tittle Shall in no wise pass from the law Till all be fulfilled Whosoever therefore shall break one of these Least commandments And shall teach men to do so He shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven And whoever will do and teach them The same shall be called great In the kingdom of heaven Back to the point we were making About whether he would fulfill the law It was his purpose If we Were to read You know If I can stop for a moment They say that it's better to get your group to relax by a change of pace. I could do all right if I would remember to look at my notes. Because what happens, I get going, then I look down at my notes, and I say, Well, where am I? And you see, the reason I'm bald is that I. So many times I've had to stop and rub my head to figure where I am that I lose when I lose track. So will you bear with me while I try and find out where I am? salt I've never even used so sometimes if you uh, have an occasion you might want to look this one up it's uh, Mark 9:49 to 50 uh, there's also another one in Colossians 4 and 6 uh, we passed salt and we must go on uh, well how be we say that I can't find it Luke 24 and 44 maybe that's the one Mike read this earlier. Yes, these are the words which I spake unto you, and Mike emphasized this a couple of times in his class while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. That's uh, Luke 24:44. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, as obviously this record in in Luke, indicates, was referring back to the principle that he had talked about at the beginning of his ministry, that he had come with the purpose of fulfilling the law, and that the jury ought not to worry about him discrediting the law. For he continues in this discourse that he has with the group on the mount, and he indicates that the law was really to be respected and revered at that time it was still in effect it was the veil of the temple was not rent until he died the law was still in effect therefore he being a student of the law raised under the law and the as is Schoolmaster, as it were, had the greatest of respect for it. Because wasn't it God's word? Wasn't it God's message that was delivered by Moses? And ought it not, therefore, even though it was to be fulfilled shortly, be treated with the greatest of respect? And what about those people that would break it themselves and teach other men to do the same? and I believe what he had in mind here was the matter of Corbin which was a system that the Jews worked out where uh, and again you're going to have to rely on me telling you I think it's Mark 7 and 9 if you want to look it up 7, 9 to 13 but but I'll try and put it in my words what he what the Jews devised was a system whereby if you had elderly parents and you didn't want to be bothered with them, and you know there's a lot of that today, did you know that one of the growing industries in the United States is to care for the elderly? One well, of the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing industries. Uh, and it indicates that a lot of people don't really want to be bothered with looking after old people. Now, in those days it wasn't a great deal different. You know if you had just a one room shack Well building And you had mother and pa in there And uh, two or three squall And kids uh, You know Soon you'd get the shakes So The Rabbis and the Pharisees Devised a system whereby They said now look if you make a payment up front Call it korban which is a gift To the temple We'll relieve you of the responsibility of looking after your aged parents. Now, what you do with them thereafter, that's not our responsibility, but uh, we, we won't have to, you won't have to be bothered with them. You've, you've given a gift, and great. Now, I believe that this is the sort of thing that Jesus had in mind when he said, you know, the law ought to be honored and respected. And if you're going to pervert it and teach for doctrines the commandments of men, then you are guilty of breaking this word of God and revered law. And therefore, he goes on to say that one who did that would be least in the kingdom, but those that honored that law, as it stood then, would be great in the kingdom of God. Now here we come back to Gerald's figures of speech. Do you really think that Jesus thought... That if somebody had broken the law of Moses, say uh, this Corban, that they would be least in the kingdom of heaven? No. It, it, it was a, a comparative figure of speech. What he was comparing was that one who broke the law would be considered the very least of that race or that, man, or that group of mankind inconsequential would be one who would break God's law but one who followed it would be great in the kingdom of God so the comparison here is isn't whether or not the individual would be in the kingdom of God by breaking the Mosaic law but rather a comparison for the status one who would break the law would have As opposed to one who kept it. Then he went on to say, and this is the verse that we quoted the first night But I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. How many of you can recall? Where it says, and you shall, to the effect that you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Do you remember the message that Jesus delivered to Nicodemus when he came to him that night? You remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now here he's saying it early in his ministry The same thing That if those who were to be the light and the salt And the great If their righteousness did not exceed that Of the self-righteous Pharisee There was not a chance Or a hope for them to be in God's kingdom Were the Pharisees righteous? Well, in their estimation, they were the king of the pile. Didn't they keep the law? Didn't they tithe? Didn't they keep all the feasts? Didn't they make long prayers? Didn't they go along with with long faces? Didn't they make broad the phylacteries? Didn't they make a great to-do of nailing something on their lentil or doorpost? didn't they do all these things that would constitute righteousness what did they leave out what did they leave out they even got down to tithing mince and cumin, which are little herbs that you grow in the back corner of your garden they didn't overlook a thing Were they righteous? Brother Pete mentioned this morning that they were play actors. They were hypocritical. They put on a great front. Man, they were esteemed highly among their peers. It was play acting. You see, they weren't sincere they were remembering the letter and the specifications of the law that they had lost the spirit you see the law of Moses one of the critical things in it and it's uh, I think this is if I can find it Leviticus I think is the one we want to look at you see I think this is what Jesus had in mind when he was castigating the Pharisees that the law had a loftier principle than the letter Maybe if I got in Leviticus instead of Exodus it would help you know we had a sister at home just recently was playing the organ and she ran into some trouble she got the wrong key and uh, of course she was highly embarrassed it was a little difficult to follow so I called her twinkle fingers uh I feel the same way as she did Get in the wrong area It's the 19th chapter Of Leviticus Verse 3 This is Relating that you shall fear your father and mother And keep my sabbaths. And At the 12th verse You shall neither Swear by my name Neither shalt thou profane my name Uh over verse 18 remember when Jesus summarized the law here's where he was quoting from thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself I am the Lord the law of Moses contained the foundation of the law of Christ Christ in effect fulfilled those things of the law that related to him as a sacrifice he carried on if I may use this word the tradition of the spirit of the law of Moses and those who perverted it as obviously the Pharisees had done In trying to keep it Fastidiously We're doing it Simply To give a good Appearance to those That saw them You remember We said yesterday That the sermon on the mount can hit every one of us If we'll let it Have we ever been guilty Of play acting Do we at times give a facade of righteousness? You notice I use the pronoun we. The greatest problems that I have in life are the principles that are contained in the Sermon on the Mount. And I suspect I'm not that different than you. Have any of us ever been guilty of the pharisaical attitude? Regularity, punctuality, and uh, never miss a meeting, always at Bible class, all that. Do we do it because of our thirst for righteousness? Or has it become habitual and conventional? You answered Jesus continues and he says You've heard That it was said by them of old time Thou shalt not kill And whosoever shall, be, shall kill shall be in danger Of judgment The judgment of the law of Moses was If a man took a life Unless it was by accident He forfeited his own But Jesus goes on But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment. You notice I left out that phrase without cause. Do you know? I believe that's spurious. I've looked in five or six different accounts of the scriptures and the King James version is the only one that says without cause who the soul is angry with his brother without cause I should correct it by saying that the modern language puts it in brackets which makes it appear as doubtful but you look at the diaglot you look at the revised standard and all these versions they do not have that in there So what Jesus, I believe, is really saying, he that is angry with his brother is in danger of judgment. One uh, translation says uh, you couldn't even be angry with your brother even in your own house. You know, most of us think in the shelter of our own home we can blow our cool and and, and vent our... uh, File, as it were, our venom against another. You notice it says brother. I don't think that's by accident either. And Paul says, "Be ye angry and sin not." What is anger? Well, anger, as I understand it, is the emotions out of control. And Jesus is saying that if we indulge in this uh, flight of emotion, we're in danger of exposing ourselves to doing things that when our attitude and our control is right, we wouldn't do. see he starts off by saying under the law if you're killed you paid for it but I'm telling you if you're angry with your brother you're going to have a terrible time controlling yourself in such a way that you won't do something that will warrant you answering for so the next time you're about ready to light that little short fuse think about this you know anger is something that we indulge ourselves in if you think of it in that way we look at it as an escape valve, a safety valve and whatnot. if you blow your stack then everything is great it may not be it may not be and I suggest that the soberness of the thoughts that Jesus are suggesting when he relates it to killing a person under the law and anger under his estimation is not that dissimilar he goes on and he says uh, somebody that says Raka thou art uh, to his brother thou art danger of the council but whoever will say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire." fire Raka as I understand it is a word that can be translated idiot if you say to your brother you idiot or you fool what are you doing? are you getting rid of the venom venom that's uh, accumulated in your system? How did you feel the last time somebody called you a fool? And the last time somebody called you an idiot, did you go up and say, Oh, you sweet person, thank you. No. You see, it's it's like a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. See, when when, when you indulge in that kind of emotional uncontrol you're probably doing more harm to yourself than you are the recipient of your anger and so Jesus is getting to the very quick as it were of how we act and how we rea- uh, react and how as individuals we often indulge ourselves in emotional uncontrol.